Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Travel Talks. 37, a number that will be very relevant in just a few minutes' time. Uh, last week, we, of course, had Amy Fuller on the podcast. And thank you to everyone for the kind comments on that episode. That was really good fun for us, having Amy yeah. on. And also very timely with the Olympics. Yeah, so, so good. And we've got a theme kind of building here. We've had so many world-class sports people on the podcast. And off the back of Amy's episode, we've now got another champion in their field. And that person is Nick Cassidy. Now, Nick has got a fantastic travel story, traveling the world, racing an elite motorsport, including uprooting his life, moving to Japan to race in Japan. And we got stuck in talking about all of those things, those travel memories, living in different countries from a young age and what that meant for him. Yeah. And the big thing that really shocked me was the kind of whirlwind that he was chucked into at the age of 16, where he was expected to kind of travel around the world solo on his own and also one thing that stood out to me was his love of japan you can tell he absolutely loved his time there this is a good one should we get into it let's do it mate I, man I, I won't lie i mean the first six months was getting used to nightlife there that was uh yeah. it was it was awesome you have some pretty pretty wild nights i don't know why i felt like it was acceptable in japan to do things i wouldn't do else, elsewhere in the world but looking, mm. ba- looking back it probably wasn't acceptable to do there either so. <laughs> <laughs> The number one thing that stands out to me is how clean the streets were, but when I had rubbish, I could never find a rubbish bin. <laughs> okay. it, sounds, wow. it sounds incredible, right? But everyone, you know, if they go to their park, they, you know, for a picnic, everyone takes their plastic bags and tidies up after them, carries their plastic bags home and off with all their rubbish, even if it's on the train or wherever they're going and would dispose their rubbish at, at home and things like that. I know that was in Monaco and Monaco's beautiful for scenery and whatever else but honestly we could have been wherever in the world and uh, it would have felt pretty cool because in the end you know you can um, I don't know you can be wherever having a ham sandwich and, and a bit of good company and you still have a great yeah. time right Nick Cassidy welcome to Travel Talks mate how are you thanks for having me on guys I'm uh, very well nice to be here this is probably going to be a, a different one for you because I imagine you spend most of your time either racing, practicing racing, or talking about racing. And we're going to be talking about travel in this podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's a good chance to connect stuff, isn't it? You know, the travel world and the racing world, because they do live in 
perfect symmetry with each other. Yeah, so I was just, I was just going to step in because I noticed this was episode 37, but it's actually my race number. So I thought you'd done 37 at Cassidy when clicking on your on your link. It's nice to see that a lot of things are kind of mixing in for today's today's podcast. Love that. Perfect coincidence. <laughs> is that fate, Alex? Yeah, I think it is. I like that. So Nick, I'm interested, right? So as someone who likely spends a lot of their time away from their home, I imagine you're living out of a suitcase a lot of the time. So your relationship with travel is probably a little bit different to most of our listeners. So how important is travel to you? Yeah, it's a funny one, right? Because you live out of your suitcase as a racing driver and you end up going to all of these destinations, which you end up seeing 15% of Mm. in in a way that a lot of the places we travel to are really cool. Like you you guys know all about it. You're on on the road as well. But for me, I think what's uh, quite nice about it or the positive side you do get a taste of different cultures but you really figure out where you want to go back to or where you want to spend more time or discover more mm. more of right and so mm. um that's uh probably probably the coolest part about it for me is that you know you you might not be able to discover everything you want to but you certainly know where you want to discover more of mm. has that happened to you on a few occasions then somewhere that you've been for example on a race and then you've gone back in your own personal life to experience it on a more close level yeah for sure for sure off the top of my head i mean in europe you kind of get a familiar feel for everything anyway but um i mean formula e is an interesting one recently i would love to go back to mexico and Mm. look around there more that was a pretty different experience for me the us i'd been a little bit myself anyway so i knew what to expect when racing there but if i look back in the past i raced in macau and then one cool thing was to, you know, go to Hong Kong as a, which mm-hmm. I actually ended up doing as a, a, a tourist, let's say, and and do do around Asia a bit as well. So yes and no, I've done a little bit, but there's certainly more that I'd love to do. Nice. nice. Well, we want to take it back now, back to the early Nick Cassidy days, because obviously uh, something that you have very different to us is you grew up in another country. You grew up in New Zealand in Auckland. Now that is a place that is incredibly high on so many people's bucket list as a place to go for a holiday, a travel destination. What was it like growing up there? Well, it's, it's normal, right? Because, you know, mm. it's, it's home. It's it's everything that you know. And it's, you know, you guys say that, but I, I'm living in Auckland going, I want to go to the UK. Ah, okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> but because it's 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 the unknown and, um, and it's something new. It's a different culture. For me, I think I was quite quite lucky like I'm really proud of of where I'm from I think there are a lot of nice places in the world and I'm very lucky to to grow up in what I believe was a very nice place but at the same time you you still want to get out and discover more I mean it's a it's a fair way away going to Auckland New Zealand right compared to Mm. being up in Europe um (laughs) so so it wasn't like when I was younger we would you know ever go to Europe for a holiday or anything like that the first chance to come to europe was um was for racing of that so just to carry on that point in terms of what it was like for you as a child in terms of travel and your relationship with travel did you mostly stay inside of new zealand or did you go kind of further afield yeah so staying inside new zealand and to be honest these were probably my my best travel memories where i grew up go-karting right in new zealand and Mm. It's quite a small scene down there, but everyone's very passionate. I think in terms of percentage of races compared to population, it's a very strong number. Mm. Mm. And so it meant that there's a lot of family teams. And sorry, I am getting there. You've got to bear with me. But (laughs) (laughs) it meant that it was my brother, you know, coming along more or less for the ride. He was into his racing a little bit when he was younger, but 
he was very smart and into his other things. And my mom and my dad on the road with our go-kart trailer and the Toyota Land Cruiser traveling <laughs> all over New Zealand to, to go to a different kart race every weekend. Um, and my parents had Monday to Friday jobs, which is very normal. And so mm. Friday, 5 p.m., if we were lucky, you know, we could knock off work two hours early and leave after school at 3 p.m. Um, to the mm. next go-kart race. And sometimes it will be, you know, in the South Island uh, and you end up leaving a day early or sometimes it's Wellington, which is about a 10-hour drive bottom of the North wow. Island and you'd get there early hours of Saturday morning for, you know, the Saturday race. And so that was uh, quite cool though because when you're traveling by car through a country that has so much nature and amazing landscape, you see so much. Mm. And I think almost when I was younger, I took that for granted in, in terms of we knew basically every road in the country. There's only one. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like you, you end up seeing a huge amount for your age and, and through doing a sport, which was, was pretty cool. And then you saw Lord of the Rings. You were like, wow, this place is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I, I hate to admit I've still never watched that, that movie. Obviously know a lot about it. Um, yeah. But, and, but you and lived it. Yeah, lived it, lived exactly. It. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you kind of touched upon it there about the idea of taking things for granted. So when you started traveling and you're moving around Europe Europe and, and everywhere, we'll get into that in a little bit, but do you look back on that now and think, you know, what are the things that you miss about home being on this side of the, country, the world now? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I more miss a strange one. It's almost the lifestyle of, you know, certain, sounds boring, but coffee shops, cafes, yeah. Yeah. local mm. places. I'm huge for that. I, I love going on holidays where that's the kind of thing. It can be training mixed with, you know, your ideal kind of coffee shop and your ideal location. Yeah. That's something that I like doing in life. And, and back home is quite good for that. So mm -hmm. yeah. that's something that I miss naturally. But the other thing I think in terms of travel, the bottom of the South Island is one of my, in New Zealand is one of my favorite spots in the world um it's super beautiful there's a lot of activities down there and it's you know a two-hour flight from Auckland so it's not I think what you'd consider super close up here whereas mm. back home it feels close because everything else is so far away mm -hmm. just to carry on talking about New Zealand I'm, I'm interested is it's obviously a place which is so closely linked to adrenaline sports mm. and as a racing driver do you think that kind of influenced you growing up to have that adrenaline fueled job in the future yeah, interesting one. Um, I would say not directly, but I think it's pretty cool down there where sport is such a big thing mm. because you know there's a lot of I guess outdoor space. You know, you know, um, in terms of when you go to go to school, it's very natural to be playing sports at school. You know, I did six classes. This sounds really bad to say from an educational point of view, but <laughs> I did six, six classes and two of them were physical education and sports institute so look at where you are now though it's relevant yeah which is, is relevant now but i think as a as an educational or looking at it from an educational point of view it's quite strange i think to have mm. almost one third of your mm. studies related to outdoor activity or sports right pretty pretty cool though because then everyone's very active and enjoys like you say the adrenaline kind of rushing sports in terms of that you know, those early years uh, doing the karting in, and then the racing in uh, in New Zealand and Australia, of course. We're both racing fans, so we could be here for hours asking you every <laughs> little detail about that. But for, for the purpose of the, the uh, travel theme, there's a particular time period that we'd like to start on in terms of, let's say, when the when the travel started kicking in. 
the, the racing travel. And I, to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm thinking around the 2012 mark, Formula yep. Renault Euro Cup, massive yep. step out of Australasia to big and loads of international racing. How well, how old are you at that point, first of all? Yeah, so it was end of 2011. And I mean, travel, I think, from New Zealand, first of all, it's expensive. You know, you're looking at, mm. I think, well, at least $2,000 return wow. for, for an, an, New Zealand dollars for an economy ticket up to Europe. Mm. And it wasn't like mum and dad at that stage of our lives were saying, oh, you know, here's a flight ticket, go up to Europe, see what it's about. Mm. That still wasn't easy stuff. And so like anyone, it's planned in advance and planned very carefully and there needs to be an opportunity. And luckily that was there for me to, to go and have a test in Europe. And I think in a normal circumstance, I was – 16 years old at the time it would have been good going to a race uh, or to a test in europe or race in europe with my father or a manager or something like mm. that but in terms of my parents needing to work or the cost of travel at that stage it wasn't possible and so you know i, I went off by myself which seemed very normal at the time um and i think it still is quite normal i just look back at that thinking i wonder how much easier that process would have been if it wasn't by mm. myself but at the same time, that's kind of what develops me into being who I am today in terms of getting out there and discovering travel by myself, working out mm. what to do, where to go, how to be organized, how to plan. And there are things you know, we take for granted these days, but at some stage of your life, you need to learn the process of doing that, which was then. It all went smoothly, all went good. And then I went back to New Zealand to race. So that was the end of 2011. I went back to New Zealand to race the summer of 2012, which was January, mm. before going up properly. And I was living initially with my manager at the time in Switzerland. I forget even the name of the the city, to be honest. Mm. I, I wouldn't know. I was there for two months um, and didn't know a single road, didn't know really where I was, what I was doing, but just loved it for the fact that I was somewhere completely new, just discovering mm. Mm. something new each day right and so um yeah that was quite an experience so to uh continue on that theme and talk about your start in terms of international racing i wanted to ask you what kind of memories you have from that time do you have any travel stories perhaps like you say about seeing switzerland if you could expand on that and tell us some stuff that you got up to in that time of your life perhaps yeah well it was just little things right when you know so i was i'm pretty sure i was 16 i was going to switzerland and, and my manager went away from the week i was staying there uh myself for the weekend and he goes oh here's here's the car keys um you know if you need to go to the supermarket or there's some food here or what whatever kind of see you next week kind of thing and um <laughs> i just remember you know even driving on the right hand side of the road for the first time <laughs> yeah. you know getting getting to the roundabout i definitely wasn't going the wrong way I uh, definitely wasn't <laughs> the right way, let's say. So, you know, little things like that are initially quite funny, uh, which, of course, we all grow accustomed to. But I was keen to go out, drive, and discover the area. We were near the mountains next to a lake, February, so everything's frozen. Mm. Little things like I, in New Zealand, would have seen snow maybe three or, three or four times in my life in, in that wow. point. I was 16 yeah. years old. And so everything's covered in snow. I thought it was awesome going out running in the snow and and getting lost and just being alone for the weekend right and so that um kind of made everything super exciting and then i think i went through a phase where i don't think i was getting homesick let's say but things were getting difficult where i was living in always someone else's back room never mm. never sure what was next 
traveling I was doing Formula 1 Euro Cup with a British based team so I eventually moved to the UK staying uh, in Northampton and you know meeting the team uh, at 2.45 in the morning because you know the 6am or 6.30am fly out of Luton was the, the cheaper one so you'd do that yeah. and then go off to Spain and, and that kind of thing and, and that was all pretty cool like oh, man I'll do it I'll do it all over again in a heartbeat because it's your passion right it doesn't matter yeah what time of the day or night you're up, you're going to fly into Barcelona, which, you know, at the time I can only think of Barcelona Formula One, never really sure what Spain's like. You're discovering all these new things, driving uh, three hours out of Barcelona, kind of what you feel like is the middle of nowhere because, Mm. you know, between cities and and Spain, there's there's not much going on. And Mm. compared to New Zealand, that was so different for me because in New Zealand, you have all these small towns along the journey. If I think back to my karting Mm. days with mom and dad driving along, whereas in Spain, you know, you're going along for an hour and a half looking at what feels like desert. It's it's all a bit different. And and yeah, I think the, the, the low point was getting kind of four months in and traveling back from a race, going back to the UK in the team van, getting to Marseille, uh, I was, you know, getting out for the passport check and, and, uh, just took my passport, no wallet, no phone, you know, went inside, mm. um, backpack in the van. I think a lot of the, the team crew stayed in the van almost. I got told not, nah, I'm not going to the UK or overstayed my three months and the team were like, sorry, we've got to go. See you later. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Yeah, that they were off. I was um, <laughs> seventeen, no phone, no wallet, nothing, just sit, sitting there with my passport. And uh, <laughs> so yeah, there were these high high points where it was really exciting to be in Europe, and then 
there were some moments like this where all of a sudden uh, things weren't so easy. So you certainly got a, a taste of both. How how quickly would you say you got used to that? The idea of, you know, not just the travel, but everything that comes with it. Yeah, I think I went through a quite hard three, four months, which at the time uh, I, I didn't really see it as like a problem related to travel. I was more so focused on my career that the travel was a secondary thing. Mm. Mm. But it's, I guess it comes now where you, you're sitting here. I mean, I'm talking like I'm 50 years old. I'm 20, <laughs> 26 guys, so don't worry. Um, <laughs> but yeah. but I, I even look back at that now as what, eight, nine years ago and think, damn, I, I saw a huge amount, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it probably took me that three or four months. It was pretty hard, but was so focused on my career that it was just part of it. And I didn't really see it as a, too much of a negative. And um, ultimately, man, I think it made me stronger. I think you, know, mm. you go through that stuff and it makes you stronger. For sure. Now, I imagine like at that time as well, there might have been others in the same boat, even with you, especially, I don't know about the time, if I've got the timeline right here, but were you with involved with Red Bull at that time? Or did that come later? No, no, um, not at that time. Yeah, that come a fair bit later. I had a small link with them in 2013 um, and it was more or less an audition. Uh, mm. I was really lucky to get a to get a chance to do a race end of 2013. I hadn't been doing much that year. I'd basically been on the on the sofa running around the UK trying to test for different teams on the simulator and things because mm. that was the most cost efficient way to, to go racing for me at that point. <laughs> I was living in uh, my great auntie's back room in, um, in Bletchley at the back of Milton Keynes. Yeah, wow. That was literally like Harry Potter, but yeah. she was, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she was super nice to me and she was super cool. And it was quite funny because Danny Kvyat and, and Carlos uh, science were living in the center and, and MK and the three of us mm. were hanging out each day. And it was, it was quite, quite funny because I kept saying, you know, I, I don't want to pay two pounds to come into the city on the bus and take 30 minutes. It's a six minute drive. Come pick me up, man. You know, it was never <laughs> a six minute drive. Yeah. It was, and it was never a six minute drive, you know, so you always had to, to convince him on that. And, yeah. and then when they'd arrive, it'll be like, Oh, come, just come in and say hello to my auntie. You know, she's wondering how you guys are. And so that opened the door. Hey, how are you? You know, <laughs> these things seem quite funny now. We look back on it. Yeah. Love that. So to carry on talking about that time of your life when you're living in Bletchley, you mentioned a few F1 drivers' names there. How important was that circle of drivers who were in that kind of similar boat to you? All of you kind of living away from where you grew up in a foreign environment. How important was it to you to have those people in the same situation around you? Definitely important because it helps with your daily life you know you go through stages in a motorsport season where you're so busy from race to race preparing with the team training or whatever it is but especially in junior categories your downtime is quite large as well um Mm. between events or off season whatever it is it's very easy to not have a structure to to your life and when i say it was great for me it was also great i think for them you know we're all Mm. there working towards the same goal and especially if you're not racing against each other directly it's easier to have conversations yeah. and and do things yeah. together right which um yeah was uh was pretty cool and it's even even little things you know you help each other out like oh okay what's the best gym around here to go to oh let's mm. let's all, let's all go to this one this one has this deal mm. you know in, in new zealand you can kind of throw your mate your car keys and say oh hey have my car for the week whereas 
in the UK, obviously you need to be insured under every mm. every car. And so you learn about all these different rules and how do you do this and how do you do that. And um, it's funny how much is of that isn't related to ra- racing as well, uh, which I think is quite mm. cool. Yeah, You're all there yeah. for a common goal, right? But it's all most of the time something that's not related to, to motorsport. Did you uh, or any of the other guys pick up any speeding tickets in those early days? <laughs> uh, I mean, you can say no, but we won't believe you. <laughs> I... I I can hand on heart say, luckily, speeding tickets have been pretty good, but parking tickets was a shocker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, right. yeah, I was terrible. You know, when it's a pound for a parking and you go, you know, I can get lucky 40 times yeah. and it's the same as yeah. a ticket, but then you get two tickets in a row and it's like, you know, you're, <laughs> yeah. okay, now we've got to do 80 times of that. So, no, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Better pay the pound. It's possible to be too quick for a speed camera, but you can't get away with parking. <laughs> yeah, nah, never, mate. Never. <laughs> Good yeah. advice. Always pay the pound. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so let's move on to that time of your life, which was so successful in Japan. So 2015, that was when it all started for you. So what inspired that move for you to move to Japan? I must say 100% racing because, yeah, before getting on to the, the travel side, at that stage mm. of my life, you know, I'd, I'd gone through a couple of years living in Europe, but never really racing anything full-time. I'd never done a full season outside of mm. New Zealand and anything. And I was given the opportunity to test for Tom's Tuota in Japan, who were the factory team in Formula 3 out there. Uh, and they had a funded seat for, for the next season. And so I was prepared to go anywhere in the world. I, I didn't mm. care. I mean, if, if it was with a, a great team or almost, I mean, I didn't tell them this at the time, but any team that was a, a fully funded <laughs> ride at, at that stage, you know, I was, I was all for it. And, um, yeah, when it was, I uh, wanted to do the Japanese Formula 3 championship. Yeah. Why not? Of course. Mm. So, um, that's, uh, that was the kind of thing that kicks up, kicks out of that. Yeah. And what, what was that like in terms of, you know, you've done New Zealand, Australia, you go to Europe and then you go to Japan. Was it a little bit of a culture shock? Because there are some obviously key differences, what did you find so different in that move? You know, what amazed me and I think what's incredible is how little I knew about Japan before I went there and how mm. underprepared I was, which is kind of disappointing because I knew about a lot about Japan and I've, uh, well, I thought I knew a lot about Japan before I moved there um, in terms of watching racing and things there. But in terms of learning about different cities, but also culture, which is massive there or massively different let's say i was very underprepared and it come across across quite quickly or the chance to test which was basically an audition i basically got an email saying the test was going to be on the 23rd and 24th of december i was going to share the car drive against one other guy and they would choose one of the two wow on christmas that, eve that, yeah it's christmas <laughs> eve and and i mean that they didn't yeah, like Christmas isn't a thing there. I mean, yeah, yeah that's true. They quite often now have testing on Christmas Day. It's quite normal. And and for me, it was like, well, but, but I'm going to miss Christmas with my family, right? Whereas mm. in the end, my, my dream was racing. And so I was prepared to sacrifice that. But in the back of your mind, it just seemed very unnatural because I hadn't yeah. missed a Christmas with my, my family at that point. Mm. But it was all good. Got told to be there on the 21st to make my own, own way there, do a seat fit. And then I'd, I'd maybe be there on the 19th. But anyway, they'd, they said, stay in the hotel a few days and we'll see you at the test kind of thing. And I said, oh, okay, well, is the team going to 
picked me up from the airport or how does that work? And they said, oh, no, you can catch a bus. I'm like, okay. Wow. How long is the bus? They're like, oh, three hours. <laughs> and I'm, yeah, I'm kind of thinking, is this, is this normal? Am I flying to the right place? Like I, I've never actually flown somewhere in the world where I get on a bus for three hours. But mm. it was actually kind of what well, turns out to be one of the most efficient ways unless you're renting a car, which with toll roads and things ends up being yeah. – super expensive in, in Japan. So in terms of cost and efficiency, it was definitely the best way. I learned at a later point, I'd say. The following year, I was on the bus <laughs> all, all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, landing landing there, um, looking for the, the signpost. Obviously, everything's in uh, Katakana in Japan. Um, yeah, jumping on the bus, getting off, kind of what I thought was in the middle of nowhere. No idea who I'm looking for. Find what turns out to be my, my future boss who takes me to the factory. I try a seat. There was no, like, look around the factory or anything like this. By the way, this this town's in um, Gotemba, which is around an hour and a half out of out of Tokyo. Um, okay. Quite close to, to Mount Fuji. And obviously being 24th of December, it's a fair bit of snow around and pretty damn cold but but yeah when i got to the race team there's no real look around the race team and things no no conversation it was check the the seat um okay that's good here's your hotel uh yeah literally see you in three or four days and i was, I was messaging the guy during those three or four days do you have anything that i can be doing or mm. no do you have anywhere you think i can go there's this one place and i remember i walked about six or seven kilometers to a shopping center because it ended up being one of the things to do, I went to an outlet there and yeah. try to try to kill some time, right? And I didn't know it at the time, but that would be the the city where I would end up living the next year once I got the drive. And All I right. and my That's... apartment was very close to that that shopping center, so I was there quite a lot for you know coffee or, or whatever. But it's a a very small town compared to what we're used to, pretty mm. pretty small, and uh, English just isn't a thing there, and so it's yeah. a pretty pretty different experience i was gonna ask that because my, when i first went to japan i'd been told you know not a lot of people speak english just be prepared to learn some stuff and just be prepared to like act out the food that you want on the menu so i was like okay and i went there and even with that it, it still surprised me almost i guess you could say i mean alex we're primed to this as being british yeah just like the <laughs> ignorance of like oh we can go anywhere and everyone speaks english of course. like you know or you know so actually to go there and not have that experience and it being at first it was intimidating and i'm keen to hear your thoughts on this because it didn't take long before it became amazing and really cool to be completely out of my comfort zone yeah right um similar similar i i also had that ignorance where you know why can't you speak english where you know, the more, I, I guess actually, I must say it was my time in Japan. The more time I spent in Japan kind of took a, a step back and, and didn't just look at the Japanese culture, but all these different cultures. And mm. I don't think anyone in the right, uh, anyone in the world has the right to expect someone to speak a certain way, you know, mm. it's, um, uh, which I think it's kind of, kind of cool because everyone's got, got their thing and you're, you're mixed in a different way. But um, at the si at the same time, it's quite funny because when you go to Japan, it's, uh, or what I found quite funny about Japan is when you arrive, uh, it's kind of, oh, you must eat Japanese food. That's kind of their thing. Uh, mm. Japanese food's great. You must eat Japanese food. And, and yet when, um, when they come to Europe or New Zealand, it's where's Japanese food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it doesn't always go that way. But yeah, in terms of getting out outside of the comfort zone, um, I find it awesome. You know, like I moved there in, in February, I was renting, uh, like a 36 meter squared 
apartment, which wow. uh, it's yeah pretty small, but um, it was two floors and that 36 meters squared okay. means both floors. So it was, yeah, oh, 18, 18 okay. by 18. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what that would even look like. Yeah, it was small, man. It was small. <laughs> you walk around um, on your hands and knees. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so it was pretty, but you know, I, I loved it. It was, it was one of my first apartments that I had that was, mine i've always been living mm. in these back rooms of other people's places that you know you you do but you know when you get your first place i'm like this is so cool yeah yeah, yeah. and then every day was kind of like an adventure you know i got a mountain bike i would ride around and you were just discovering like going through the woods going through the mountains on all these different places where they seem so far away because you would never find them otherwise but actually they're you know 24 25 minute bike ride from your house so it's pretty mm. pretty cool amazing so to carry that on we speak about japan so much i would say arguably more than any other country in the entire world on this podcast but oh, we've scotland. never had anyone <laughs> yeah other than scotland we seem to have an obsession with scotland but we've never had anyone who's lived in japan come on the podcast i'm really interested okay. to hear your perspective so what were your favorite things about living in japan the tidiness and organization mm. is something that i thought was amazing in terms of the number one thing that stands out to me is how clean the streets were but when i had rubbish mm. i could never find a rubbish bin <laughs> okay. it sounds wow. it sounds incredible right but everyone you know if they go to the park they you know for a picnic everyone takes their plastic bags and tidies up after them carries their plastic mm. bags home and with all their rubbish even if it's on the train or wherever they're going and would dispose their rubbish at at home and things like that and obviously here in terms of or not the UK, but in terms of even New Zealand in a way, littering is just kind of normal that you see everywhere. But you don't really, really realize how extreme it is in some cases until you go somewhere mm. where it doesn't exist. Uh, and mm. it's, it's quite eye-opening in a way in terms of um, cleanliness and organization is uh, lines and how, how things work for such a huge population how efficient everything can work from trains to store mm. openings to restaurants, what, whatever it is. Um, yeah, you're never actually in, okay, you're in traffic, but it's expected in some ways where mm. you're in busy trains and things, but you still get to places more or less on time. It's mm. um, yeah, incredible how things can still work to the minute, which I think, yeah, I moved back to Europe and initially I was <laughs> – irritated by the fact why are you three minutes late but yeah. you know <laughs> initially and 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 now i'm the guy that's you know after being back in europe for just over six months now i'm the guy that's 10 minutes late again i mean it, so <laughs> it was it's just yeah you kind of kind of get used to it and it kind of become or it became a bit of me as well which um mm. was kind of interesting how i changed over that period that's something really funny about that so when i went to japan i'm sure you must have seen this loads nick when you were there but the second day i was there there was a news story on the news okay. about a train about a train being late. No way! Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was like yeah. seven minutes late, and there was, it was on the news. Yeah. <laughs> I'm intrigued, Nick. You mentioned earlier that you got a mountain bike and you were going off exploring. So I'm intrigued as someone who lived in Japan for many years. Have you got any hidden gems which you came across on your travels which you could recommend to our listeners? Could have, you could have prepared me for for this one. Yeah, hit, hit you with that one. <laughs> Yeah, I went last year. I mean, I didn't like uh, Okinawa is a big, um, it's a, it's an island, which is a two, hour, two and a half hour flight mm. from Tokyo down south. Um, looks really, really beautiful. I never went there in my five years of Japan and I'm sad I didn't. Oh, that's something I mm. wish I did. But it's a bit of a, from what I can see, it's a bit of a tourist thing. 
but mm. there are some other small islands around there which my girlfriend went to um, a few times. It's, I'm she's going to me I've pronounced this wrong, but Miyakojima, I think. Oh, um, Nakajima. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you go there? No, no, I haven't been there. I haven't heard of it. Though. Looks looks beautiful. Um, a few places like that. But in terms of uh, where I went, I went to a small, well, it's quite big beach, Shimoda, Shimoda mm. Beach in an area. And, and I stayed there for probably four or five days in a house with your eight or nine other people. We had so much fun. We were just barbecuing every day and out on the beach and in the mountains, you know, there's golf courses close by. So that would be something that I'd definitely recommend. I think it's quite cool, the culture down there where it's so slow paced, but still has so much culture where mm. it seems kind of surreal that you're still in Japan. Mm. Everything looks Japanese, but everyone just seems so different compared to Tokyo, which is two and a half hours away by train. Yeah, that, that for me was like, wow, how's everything's so chill here but mm. yeah it's just just weird very cool yeah I'm, I'm curious if like did you ever get a chance to tick off some of like the more i guess like obvious hot uh, peak spots to go to like i know everyone likes going to see the um the autumn i uh, know the spring leaves and the autumn leaves you know those two times of the year where there's so much color within japan and uh, there's certain places i know that people always go to to see like certain i think it's it's spring isn't it it's as the color starts coming in and it's like you can't move you're like sardines down there. Everyone wants to get a picture of that. Did you see that when you were there? That was amazing. So Sakura, the, the flower yeah, that's it. Yeah, Sakura yeah, yeah. season. And, and uh, end of March, um, early April, depending on the year, super, super beautiful. Obviously, there are many famous photographs and things of different areas. There was especially one area through Meguro and uh, Nakamaguro, Dakinyama. There's this river that is so so beautiful and it's so packed like every night or every day of the week with, with everyone going there to to look at these flowers which um to be honest it, it was one of the things that i actually had no idea about the way i first was made aware of it was i was watching the first uh, super gt race on mm -hmm. on television from gotemba 2015 and all of the pre-race shows and things were you know camera angles going through trees with with really nice flowers and the circuit in the mm. background and things and it was kind of like why are they showing so much of that and then <laughs> the more time i spent there every year it's got more and more special which is pretty cool in the center of tokyo there's yogi park which is a fairly big park i wouldn't know the the size uh and every sunday there seems to be a lot going on there especially if it's the first weekend of good weather of the year or or something mm. like that the last weekend you know it's meant to have good weather it's very full there seems to be a lot of tourists there but there are like you know street dances there are it's almost like, looks like a family of and they've just dressed up with the hair slicked back the leather on looking like wow. elton john kind oh, of thing and, yeah yeah i know what you mean i don't know the name and, though and they're just playing music and dancing all day they're not they're not taking money they're not busking it's just they're mm. out on a sunday doing they, every sunday man doing that because it's what they love to do their shoes like taped together and holes in them because of been dancing so much and yeah. there's so much Amazing. vibe in this park of everyone just there doing what they love and don't give a damn about what anyone thinks of them and everyone mm. having a good time but then they have um what's called hanami when the the sakura comes out this park gets 
absolutely packed as like a kind of a festive um, event. Everyone's, you know, drinking and, and having fun. You know, you buy all the alcohol out of um, normal convenience stores on the mm. on the corners of any street, right? There seems to be a convenience store wherever you look in Tokyo. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Exactly. And But what amazed me is, so you've got this park that would have probably, no word of lie, 250 to 300,000 people in it. Wow. Without without being an organized event, without any advertising, just everyone's decided to go to the park and you you Jeez. sit down. Yeah, it's a lot, huh? That's yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, at the end of the day, everyone like I say, everyone doesn't leave behind like a thing of rubbish. There's massive trash bags. Everyone's put their rubbish away. You've got mountains and ma- mountains of these massive massive garbage bags, and to see events go go on like that. Mm that are just mm. kind of natural without any marketing or social organization and to be based around Sakura, which is the flower coming out. Uh, that's pretty cool to me. That's, that's so awesome. cool. Yeah. I want to touch upon something that you, you mentioned there a little bit about the convenience stores. Cause that was something I was going to ask you. I didn't know how crazy the nightlife is in Tokyo. Until <laughs> I went there. Okay. And the main indicator was that they sell things like office shirts and ties in the convenience stores. <laughs> <laughs> people just go in after a big night and, they can just buy themselves a new shirt ready to go to work <laughs> yes. yes i mean what did you experience there in terms of the nightlife hey i'm a professional racing driver i didn't go out. <laughs> <laughs> are we gonna let me get away with that I, I, yeah i had a lot of fun it was so yeah. good um so i moved to tokyo well 2016 i actually was living in the center of geneva and racing in europe and then every second week i was basically living in japan um Oh, racing in Japan, and so I'd live in a, in a hotel during the week. But 2017, in, in February, I moved into an apartment in Tokyo. Um, mm. I, man, I, I won't lie. I mean, the first six months was getting used to nightlife there. That was, uh, yeah. it was, it was awesome. There are obviously, I think, three or four different kind of areas that you can go to that all have a very different vibe. And I wouldn't say for me, I was going to a particular area in the city because. I was chasing a certain vibe. It was more based on social connections and, and who I knew or who, who I was mm. friends with, where my friends were going, right? But then, you know, as the years went on, you end up going, oh, maybe it's maybe it's cool to go go here and try this out or try this out. And um, and yeah, I mean, uh, you have some pretty pretty wild nights. I don't know why I felt like it was acceptable in Japan to do things I wouldn't do else, elsewhere in the world, but. Looking, mm. ba- looking back, it probably wasn't acceptable to do there either. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cl- clearly, based on you know the experiences you had there and the the good times and the you know opening your broadening your horizons, it must have been a good place because while you were there, you did something incredible and got and completed the Japanese triple crown in racing. That that's three titles. And for listeners that don't necessarily know motorsport, can you describe? what that is and why that's so significant um thanks man yeah i mean it wasn't all just partying and having fun that's for sure <laughs> yeah so the the triple crown um it's the japanese formula three championship and the japanese what was the formula nippon championship now it's called super formula and super gt which is uh their version i guess of dtm with the class one mm. cars and, and the japanese three major Jam- japanese manufacturers towards the honda and nissan and i guess kind of common to win two of them because to win japanese formula three usually if you especially if you're a japanese driver you would go into super gt and or super formula 
But I mean, motor, it's like this in motor racing anywhere in the world. To have the opportunity to have a car good enough to win the championship in any series, you've got to be pretty lucky. I mean, you can be with the right team in the wrong year in, in many categories mm-hmm. where suddenly they were good two years before you were there or two years after. You're sure at the time it's not yourself and it turns out mm-hmm. maybe the tire changed or w- whatever it is in racing. Sometimes the circumstances don't match. I mean, I'm proud that I took the opportunity to win when I got the opportunity um, for these championships, but also recognize I was quite lucky to be in the right position a couple of times um, and have the equipment as well, which was uh, pretty cool. So humble. Amazing. So yeah. humble. I've seen, awesome. I've seen you drive, mate. You're top quality. <laughs> Thanks, you deserve man. All the, all oh, the you, you can say that, but it doesn't sound great when I say it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I want to move us yeah. uh, away from Japan. I love talking about Japan, but now on to kind of more modern life uh, correct me if i'm wrong nick but i believe you've got a place in monaco yes which seems to just be a hub for racing drivers from all over the world so talk to us about monaco who do you find yourself socializing with what do you like getting up to and uh, what is it about monaco you love so much um yeah completely new i moved there just before christmas uh mm-hmm. my girlfriend came with me from japan which is pretty cool uh into a little studio there i've had the studio there for a while but with Corona travel last year. If I was to leave Japan, I wasn't guaranteed re-entry and and or quarantines, whatever. At certain points, they they blocked re-entry uh, even for permanent residents. Wow. So I didn't want to take that risk. And when we got there just before Christmas, twenty seconds, uh, I literally just had a bed, nothing else. And so we're on on IKEA, going, you know, uh, <laughs> how how wide do you think this is? How anyway? But, yeah, we ordered some stuff in and. and and it's ended up really nice. I mean, it's very small, but really kind of cozy and homely. And right. and um, I I felt like I was living like a king in Japan. I had this really cool apartment on the park, duplex. Like it was so nice. But I find with bigger apartments or bigger houses, you also end up storing so much shit, right? Like uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and um, I just had all this crap in terms of old clothes and things and and. A part of me kind of sorry. I know I'm getting off subject here, but I'm no, getting there. No, I'm getting no, there. Part part of me kind of hated losing so many belongings in a way, or giving so much stuff away, or, or leaving so much behind. But part of me as well loves having a more simple life where you, mm. know, you have less t-shirts or shirts or whatever. You don't feel like you know. I'm not. There's not so much maintenance to your life when you have less and everything's mm. more clean and orderly. And I feel like I achieved that. Uh, at the start of this year in Monaco and, and now I've kind of been accumulating more again but uh, anyway it's, it was quite quite a good reset we got into January and obviously things weren't great up here in, in Europe in January still um, the season was delayed by a month which I hate that because for the series and for everyone else involved because I know how much effort's been going into putting certain races together in terms of even transporting and logistics and, mm. and all that kind of side but actually from my side I was kind of pleased to have a couple of weeks to get my life sorted I'd gone to Monaco so late last year because my season in Japan hadn't finished until then and that kind of thing I flew out mm. I think actually the day after my season had finished and so it was great to have a couple of weeks off to get life sorted um Mitch Evans and Tom Blomquist they they both race in Formula E uh, two of my best friends who I grew up with in New Zealand from six, seven years old, and they were both there as well. And so it was just a super cool time of the year with everything that was going on to be together with um, your childhood friends, almost what 
was feeling like a starting a new life. Mm-hmm. I, I know that was in Monaco, and, and Monaco's beautiful for its scenery and whatever else. But honestly, we could have been wherever in the world, and uh, it would have felt pretty cool because in the end, you know, you can um, I don't know, you can be wherever having a ham sandwich and, and a bit of good company, and you still have a great yeah. time, right? So um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. So so that that's what I think was cool about that period. Then got into a bit more serious stuff, realized the season was starting, a bit of training, a bit of communication with the team. And yeah, then we then we went into Riyadh, which was um, round one of the Formula E Championship this year. Uh, and my team, um, Envision Virgin Racing, is is based in Silverstone in the UK. So end of end of January was off to the UK for simulator and to, to start preparation. That brings us nicely into this now, what is the modern day of the Nick Cassidy racing career? You're racing in Formula E. Now, that, for people that don't know, um, it's an all-electric racing series. Tell us, or you don't need to tell me. I'd be worried. <laughs> <laughs> tell Alex and the listeners, what's different about racing in the Formula E Championship to others? Now, I mean that in terms of the cars themselves, but also the travel and the commitment. Um, a fair bit's different. Um, before actually talking about the series itself, one thing I find that affects my, or not effects, but if I look back at um, my racing in Japan, it was so efficient Efficient in terms of, I had two apartments there, both were, one was within a four-minute walk of Shinagawa Station, which is one of three major train stations in Tokyo. And the, the bullet train there, you know, I'd be door-to-door to most racetracks within three hours. Wow. You know, from, awesome. you know, five minutes walking to the train station, a couple of minutes to get the ticket. You know, you have it nailed down to the second on when's the latest time you can leave your apartment yeah. to get on a, <laughs> to get on a two hour train change once and then be at the racetrack where in Europe, I find myself where I have simulator in the UK, you know, you travel from Nice, uh, from Monaco to Nice, Nice to London, London, to Silverstone, do the simulator. Then we're doing mm. simulator at Audi, which is in uh, Newburgh, an hour out of Munich. I would fly to mm. Munich drive to Newburgh, stay the night, do the simulator. And so the lead time through travel and preparation before a race event would just end up being so much longer. And um, yeah, I, I think it's just quite an interesting thing with Formula E is I find the travel side of things not more difficult, but so much longer before the race has even started. And so you've got yeah. all these kind of, it's basically a two-week lead time. Uh, before the event mm. and then we're racing in what is now a world championship worldwide so we've well we've just come back from new york before then in mexico we've we're in rome we're in london wherever and this is during the middle of a pandemic really so it's yeah. pretty uh pretty incredible how different things can be just from a difference of of championship even though it's essentially the same career yeah it's so true and i do feel a little bit bad for you as well because you joined formula e obviously during the pandemic your first season in the championship is while everything's been so crazy and one of the beautiful things about formula e is they race in the city centers of, of popular destinations you know city uh, capital cities or, or big cities in each country and because it is in the center where you're staying is you know a two-minute walk away from the best restaurants or a nice you know landmark or things to do and usually you get to experience that within the formula e calendar you can go and have dinners with other drivers or other team members or you know like in mexico we usually go and see the the nacho libre wrestling and stuff that it's, it's really cool cultural experience but we haven't had right. that okay so you need to stick around for at least another year <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah we can do it definitely definitely well i i'm I, i'm quite sure i'll be here next year so let's fingers crossed that we get to do some of that stuff together because um that sounds super super cool i mean 
usually, I don't know, you'll be able to tell me more, but the drivers were getting into the races on, on say, a Tuesday, and the event would be mm. on a Saturday, right? So you'd always have one or two days to, to do these kind of events. Yeah, and, and we, we even within the work schedule, drivers would all, often be taken away by, like, you know, the jobs that I do or, you know, the jobs that the broadcast team do, and they go do something with the driver. So, like, yes, oh, yeah, yeah. we're going to take we're gonna take Nick to, you know, the top of this mountain where there's this, and we'll go talk to, or, like, for example, we'd take, you know, two drivers to this solar farm in the middle of the desert. Or like we go, there'd always these things that were part of the show, as well as plenty of time for drivers to go and do cool stuff themselves. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's awesome. You'd be wandering around a landmark. Like I remember in Santiago in, uh, two years ago, we, we had an extra day before that the filming started, so we we're up in this place where it's um it's called uh, San Cristobal. It's basically like a big Virgin Mary statue okay. right on the top of the yeah. thing. We were up there, like going, taking pictures, like tourists. Oh, great, cool! And like, loads of the drivers are there as well. Like they're just oh, hanging really? out, just like, taking chat, pictures yeah, as well. Taking out as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was cool. It was just like, oh, I'm glad that we have this time. And it isn't. And I know you've got plenty of experience this in other categories, but sometimes a racetrack is, you know, 40 minutes outside of the nearest city. Yeah. And you whereas, can go there and not see anything. Yes. Whereas this is in the heart, right? Yeah. More or less, yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's good. I'm looking forward to, to be able to do a little bit more. Um, it'd be good. Awesome. So surely across your entire career, both in Japan and now in Formula E, you must have picked up some tips and tricks, maybe some travel hacks or things that you could identify as ways that you get around traveling so much and being on the road so much. Are there any that you could share with our listeners? Don't leave it until four minutes before you got to leave to pack your bag. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that's, we all think of that. Yep. I'm about efficiency. I mean, I always take too much stuff, but I yep. like being organized and not being short of things when I when I travel and that even simple stuff like you know how long you're away for you know if there are you know like laundry facilities or anything like that sometimes that's not an option because obviously if you're backpacking mm. or whatever that's that's part of it but in terms of me I, I just love discipline I love being organized in my bag my backpack not having unnecessary stuff being clean because I think that that saves time ultimately mm. so I don't know how much that relates to, to everyone who's, who's listening and, and to you guys but but for me and, and racing that's um i think one of the important things i love i love the way you describe these things because definitely in the last you know 10 15 minutes i've noticed two or three things that have to be because of your time in japan yeah just like right. okay. soaking in the culture and yeah. like you know, loving the efficiency loving the sort of like discipline mm. I, I love it it's so good and it, it's it's really interesting to hear because it's like when someone goes and lives in another culture, is I find it fascinating what they pick up. Right. And it yeah, sounds like okay. you've picked up things that have actually been really helpful yeah. uh, ongoing in your life. Yeah, it's either been helpful or made me paranoid. I don't know which one, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a funny one because, yeah, I don't know. I I think if, if you've got a busy schedule, you can achieve you can achieve more if you're organized. I think that's or, or efficient. And um, that doesn't mean I'm always busy. I mean, for sure, I have a lot of time off. But I think when I am busy, there's a lot going on. And if your mind is always uh, 100% on what it needs to be on, you, you do a better job. And um, having um, more mental space, mental capacity to put your mind on the job that needs to be done instead of worrying about all these small things that aren't in place uh, is key. Makes sense to me. So let's move on now to some of the more staple questions from Travel Talks, the ones we ask every single guest that we get on. So it's a big one to start off. What is your favorite city in the entire world and why? 
Queenstown, New Zealand. Nice. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I when you asked me that question, all the big cities hit my mind, but but Queenstown because it's very beautiful. There are a lot of different cultures down there through tourism. I'm a guy who loves doing things. So in terms mm. of um, not only adrenaline sports, but yeah, simple things, going through the mountains, uh, walking, um, picnics, parks, lakes, boats. It's kind of got it all. Mm. And at the same time, it's good any time of the year. I mean, it's mm. amazing in the winter with the snow and the resorts and all that kind of thing. And mm. in the summer, it's incredible with the mountains and the lakes. So uh, yeah, Queenstown for me. And then following that up, favorite country, sticking with New Zealand or going elsewhere? Um, oh, could could think of a couple more, but I'd say New Zealand just because it's home. Yeah, I think that's mm. nice. I think that's that's important to say home. Yeah. So to carry on that theme of home, you've lived in some amazing places. We've spoken about them already: New Zealand, Japan, Monaco. But if I had to push you for another location, perhaps one that you visited either in your personal life or through racing that you thought potentially at some point in your life you'd like to live there is there one that comes to mind bali yeah um <laughs> yeah being, being serious as well yeah. yeah i i like in a way simple things in terms of coffee shops like that kind of very relaxed life like mm. but if it can be affordable at the same time and at a decent quality i think that's that's what it called me nice um outside of racing now we're talking about just normal holidays vacations do you are you a city guy or do you prefer the more rural destinations more rural i mean yeah i think i think holidays to get out of the city i'm not yeah. i mean I, I like beach locations but i'd rather go to a, a pool club than go in the ocean so it's okay. it's a weird one yeah no i'm with you on that yeah okay cool cool so let's talk about food now we've spoken about it on a couple of occasions but firstly to kick us off would you consider yourself a foodie i would 100 percent. yeah 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 100 percent. so out of all your travels where is the best country for food in your japan. opinion japan yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that was quick that was quick yeah uh, I, I mean, I find uh, Japan incredible uh, for food and the different the different varieties of even the same foods. I think uh, mm. I've never seen pasta being so diverse, for example, and that's Italian, mm. you know, and yet to find that in Tokyo, I find quite incredible. The cost of food in Japan, I, I think, can be extremely high and mm. um, in some ways unreasonable. Sometimes I'm like, come on, this is... Uh, a joke we're not buying shares in the restaurant we're here for dinner <laughs> but, but at the same time i think that you can you can find like very affordable places that do some things like amazing you have some of the most delicious foods you ever taste um for a great price so it's just about having that knowledge and that yeah i guess that um having done that research to, to work that out and anything's possible still awesome so I love trying to get people to pinpoint a specific dish. Obviously, you've mentioned your love of Japanese food, but is there a particular dish that comes to mind you could take yourself back to and describe to us? So I had this friend in Japan, right? He um, He's Japanese, but he, he lived in London for a while and, and he has family in Italy. And anyway, it's got a small, it's basically like private Italian restaurant, just almost for mm. friends and family. Really oh, wow. unique and yeah, very special. And, and when he brings out every dish, he explains, okay, I've got this from this region. I've got this. And mm. he likes to tell me it's the only one in the world of this. I'm sure it's not, but <laughs> but but it's still like everything's got a pretty cool story to it. But I mean, I, I had a pasta bolognese there that I would never forget. And I, I don't know how to describe it without being weird let's say but uh <laughs> but, but it, it was it was pretty pretty incredible and and um yeah that the whole experience of, of how he tells his story adds to it as well i think 
Awesome. That is important, isn't it? The experience is almost just as important as the taste, I think. You, you can kind of choose, are you going out to to eat for the sake of eating? Are you going out to eat socially or are you going out to eat as an experience? And I think mm. all three can be great, but all three are very different, right? Mm. Yeah. I, I've got a couple, one thing I want to bring it back to before we move on, on the food front. When you said about the price in Japan, that caught me by surprise as well. Like both really? in restaurants yeah. and things. But also, like, we did the whole, like, went down to Sakuji Fish Market at 5 a.m. to ah, kind of yes. see the oh. auctions. And you see these tunas getting sold for, like, $14 million. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. But you know, at that, at that fish market, you can go for dinner at 7 p.m. And you can probably have a really nice dinner for, like, six, seven pounds. Mm. Really? That's the most incredible thing I find, like... Yeah, the range, right, from one to another in the same, but still have amazing quality. That's what I mean. Like, that's one of the places where I didn't know about. It can be very affordable, but just needing to know the right place and things. It's just, yeah, very very, uh, unique. Mm. So you mentioned at the start of the podcast, Nick, perhaps the fact that you're going to all these places, but it's almost like a fleeting visit and you almost feel like you've just touched the surface and you need to go back at a later time. So I wondered, is there a place which comes to mind that you kind of feel like you have to revisit at some point? Yeah, I keep thinking this. And for me, it's Barcelona. Mm. I've been to the racetrack maybe well, not a huge amount of times, maybe six or seven. Mm. I've never seen the city. I've never seen the beach, which um, it's not like I have to, but I just find yeah. it weird that I've been there so often without seeing the city. So it's just kind of on my mo- on my mind that I need to at some point. <laughs> it's one of those things you need to get, you need to do it. But we, we actually, <laughs> I, I'm, I only smile, smiling because you know uh, I say. yeah, yeah we, I can we, even judge like even before I said that. I'm like, poll. I know, I know. <laughs> we we had a, a um we did an episode on uh most overrated European <laughs> destinations <laughs> and, and Paris and Barcelona were the two. Really? Yeah. Paris as well. I'm, yeah, I'm so that was me. Yeah. This this was this was uh, just based on the two of us. It wasn't necessarily. uh, Although the viewers did actually agree with Paris, didn't they? The listeners, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But yeah, no. Yeah, I think Barcelona. You have to do it, but Mm. it gets it's hyped up, man. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, no. I can I can imagine and stories I've heard. Yeah, match that stuff. Yeah, (laughs) I absolutely love it. So I'd recommend it. Uh, and that brings us really nicely onto the final question of the podcast, which is something we ask all of our guests. Bucket list destinations. Nick Cassidy, what sits at the very top of your travel bucket list? It's Nor- Norway with the, the the green lights, right? Yeah, Northern, Northern Lights. No, Northern, Lights. Northern Lights, yeah. I would, say, I would say Norway with the Northern Lights. Yeah, yeah. strong. The it's good thing is you can, see, you can go to multiple places to see the Northern Lights. Norway's, Norway's the best place, but you can go to Finland... You can go even parts of Sweden or even Scotland if you go the right time of year. You can see the Northern Lights. Right, right. Mm. I've seen certain photos from Norway that mm. are just, I don't know for you guys, but when I, whenever I look at travel photos on, on Instagram and things, mm. there are certain destinations that leave a mark. Yeah. And that, that's definitely it for me. Nice. Strong. Well, what a way to end it. Thank you so much, Nick. It's been an absolute pleasure. Some amazing, amazing stories. And I know our listeners are going to love this one just as much as we did. So thank you, mate. Appreciate it. No, I really enjoyed that, guys. Thanks for having me on. That's awesome. Our pleasure. Thanks, mate. So there we go, mate. That was an absolute pleasure. What a guy Nick is. So lovely to speak to him. Absolutely. And bear in mind, like I see this guy almost every fortnight at the moment <laughs> in uh, Formula E races. Maybe not that frequently, but... There was so much stuff that I had absolutely no idea about that. 
in his life and what he's sort of uh, experienced. It was really cool talking to him, wasn't it? Yeah, it was so good. I think like a lot of people who come onto this podcast, it's quite nice for these people because they do a lot of interviews. They speak about a lot of things in their in their field, but he'd never spoken about travel. And you could tell that he loved kind of getting a lot of stories off his chest. And it was great to hear about all these amazing stories, especially for me, the time he spent in Japan, because you could tell he just absolutely loved the country. Now, if you want to keep up to date with Nick's racing career, head over to his Instagram because he's very good at putting stuff up, great pictures, great videos. Um, and it really gives you an idea of what a racing driver's life is like, both on track and off track. It's absolutely awesome. Like, obviously, before the episode, I was checking out his Instagram. He has got one of the cleanest Instagram feeds I've ever seen from, like, a professional athlete. So, if anything, just make sure you go over, check out his Instagram feed, and drop him a follow while you're there, because it's absolutely amazing. Strong IG game, isn't it? (laughs) It's seriously good. Now, of course, we wish him all the best in the future, starting with the season finale of Formula E in Berlin in just a few weeks, where... He's in a pretty good position for success. And that's in his rookie year as well. Just another testament to how good of a bloody racing driver he is. Yeah, he's seriously good. He's the the driver I'm going to be cheering on when I'm watching Formula 3 now, mate. Love it. I will, of course, stay impartial. (laughs) And thanks, as always, guys, for listening to Travel Talks. It always means so much to us. And we'll be back next Monday with another episode where it's us two waffling on. We've got a nice topic (laughs) sorted, so it shouldn't be too much of a pain to listen to us. But yeah, we're excited and I hope you come and join us for it. Look forward to it. See you then, mate. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.